my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. A lady waited to the last minute to uh, send out her Christmas card. She had 49 people on her list, so she ran down the store and bought herself a box of 50. She didn't really pay much attention to them, and she filled them all out, addressed them, signed them, put them in the mail. And uh, then after things slowed down a little bit, maybe Christmas Day, she decided to read her card that she sent out. She hadn't read it, so she picked up the one remaining card, and, uh, and this is what she read to her dismay. This card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. <laughs> uh, Christmas... Christmas was indeed, I think, God's way of saying to us that a gift is on the way. And the gift was going to be the means and the evidence by which God would give to us eternal life. Jesus would come to earth as one of us. We've been talking about that all morning uh, in our humanity. And then he would submit himself to death. And though he had never sinned, he had never done anything worthy of death, he submitted to death as a substitute for us. He would also be proof, right, that God would one day restore our lives. He, God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him his life back. So listen to this. Christmas night was the promise. Resurrection Sunday was the proof. Now, um, this Christmas morning, we remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, would have eternal, would not perish and have eternal life. And so Christmas is a promise of a future gift, right? But here's what I want to suggest to us this morning, and really so much of what we've done already has said this. Christmas itself is the gift, that Jesus himself is the gift. God gave us himself on that Christmas morn. And I think we miss that a lot of times. We, we miss the fact that God himself was, was the gift. If you're with us this morning, and I see we have a few guests here, and uh, that you haven't been with us, we've been looking at the gifts of Christmas, the things that God gave us with Christmas morning. We said that he gave us joy and love and hope and last night peace. Well, this morning I want to remind all of us that God gave us on that Christmas morning the gift of himself. And I'd like to remind us of some momentous aspects of giving himself to, uh, to us. So here's the first one. On Christmas morn, God gave us a Christmas evening. I thought about this. I'm going to diverge from my notes here just a little bit. And, you know, last night we had Christmas Eve. Why do we do Christmas Eve? Well, I I heard, heard somebody talk about how we just morphed into wanting to do more and more gatherings related to Christmas. And that's probably, there's probably some truth to that. But, but we all think that, that Jesus was born in the evening, right? Why do we, we sing silent night? Why do we do all that? Because, the angels came to the shepherds at night while they were watching their sheep. And so we just surmise, I'm assuming, that Jesus was born in the evening. So I think that's kind of why we really like Christmas Eve, because it reminds us of the night. I mean, Jesus would, if, if this were to be actually Christmas morn, which I have no idea that it is, but if this was the actual Christmas, the day that Jesus was born, he wouldn't have been born till this evening, probably, right, based on the scripture. I'm, I'm diverging. Um, so, um, anyway, where was I going with all this? Okay, number one, number one. Christmas morning. Oh, that's where it was. <laughs> Christmas, Christmas evening, God gave us, listen to this, a demonstration 
of himself. A real, living demonstration of who he is. When Jesus was born, God came to earth as a man. And Jesus gave us the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says the Son, speaking about Jesus, is the exact representation of God who can't be seen. Verse 19 says God was pleased to have his whole nature living in Jesus, in the Messiah. When, when Jesus was with his disciples the night before he was uh, to be crucified, they said, hey, show us God the Father. Remember this? Show us God. And Jesus Kind of perturbed, he said, he said to them, I've been with you all this time and you don't know me. When you've seen me, finish it. You've seen the Father, right? Jesus was fully God. And when he was born Christmas Day, God was revealing himself to us in his fullness. Imagine for just a moment the disparity between you and, and someone who was is an Aborigines who's raised in the Amazon basin, who's never known Western man. Imagine the, the dissimilarities between you and that person. And re- imagine you trying to communicate to that Aborigines person about our Western world, about heating and air conditioning, about lights, about buildings like this, trying to describe that to people who have never experienced or didn't know any of that. Well, you you probably couldn't do it. You probably couldn't do it. That's why those folks that go on mission for Jesus and they go to these tribes of folks who've never known Westerners, right? How do they start off? They start off by learning the language. They start off by maybe dressing like them and, and living amongst them, right? So that they can communicate the good news of Jesus to them. Now follow my illustration. Don't get lost in my illustration. That's what God did for us. He lowered himself. He he dropped himself down to our level so that he could explain to us and, and reveal to us the nature of God. The Bible says that God humbled himself to become like us so that he could tell us what he's like. You know, years ago, I I found this video. I mean, it's been over a decade, over the last 10 or maybe 20 years, over the last however many years we've watched this video. Some of you will never have seen it before. It's one of my favorites. If you want to know what God looks like, then listen to this. Ever wonder what God looks like? I know I have. I know as far back as I can remember, I've wondered. But I've never been satisfied with where it got me. I've thought of God as an old man, a nice grandfather figure, but one who's a tad fragile, not someone who can defend me when I'm threatened. I feared him as a strict principal, an ever-present policeman who was always nagging on me and just waiting to thumb me as the guy who did it. I once considered him to be my good luck charm. All I had to do was call on him and hopefully he would come serve me and give me what I want, my own personal genie in a bottle. I even pictured him as an absent landlord someone I have to pay rent to, and frankly, probably someone who has a lot better things to do than bother with me. And I've imagined him other ways, but all my images of God are just too small. All of them, that is, except one. God has told us in the Bible that he is spirit. He does not detail his physical appearance, 
And in fact, it reminds us that no man has seen God at any time. But the Bible also tells us something else. It tells us that God became flesh. It tells us that Jesus makes it known what God is like, that he is the visible image of the invisible God, that in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It tells us that Jesus himself said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you know me, you know my Father. The Bible also says that Jesus' body was not stately in form or appearance that we should be attracted to him, but his person, wow, talk about attractive. When you talk about the person of Jesus, you don't find yourself talking about his strong points. You marvel that he is the exact representation of the nature of God. Every good attribute and characteristic of perfection was seen in Jesus. Want to know what God looks like? Then take a look at Jesus. See how he handles the oppressed. Watch how Jesus pursues those that are lost. Notice how he deals tenderly with friends. Be amazed at how he loves and offers forgiveness to his enemies. Look at how he stands strong in the face of death. Notice how he sacrifices himself for the good of others. Watch how he respects those in authority and yet how he bows to no one. Observe how he handles hypocrites, betrayal and deceit. Look at his response to dead religion, burdensome traditions and the arrogance of men. And yet, notice how children run to him. Watch him serve his world and lead his men. Always loving, never failing, continually forgiving. Want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. I love that video. There is so much about God that Jesus revealed to us. So much that I could talk about. I'd like to highlight one thing. And I'm actually going to go back and highlight what Michael talked about in depth a couple of weeks ago. I want to highlight what Jesus revealed about God and that he revealed that he loves us. Jesus, Jesus showed us over and over and over again the love of God. How he loved the sinner. How he loved the down and outer. He loved the one that everyone else judged and scorned. He reached out and touched the untouchables. He taught us to love our enemies. He taught us not to show partiality because he doesn't. So vast, so immense, so powerful is God's love for mankind that... Uh, that he would give himself for us. That's what Michael said a couple of Sundays ago, right? Love is, we see the love of God and that God gave himself for us. Number two, the Christmas, the Christmas morning or Christmas day, God gave us, when giving himself, God gave us a relationship with himself. When Jesus was born, it was because God was motivated by the desire for a forever relationship with you guys and with God, with me and with God. People often claim that they are amazed by the power of God. And it is amazing that there is a being out there who exists, who created everything that is simply by his own desire. That is amazing. But I, but I think it's equally amazing that a being who could create everything that we know would actually care about you. Well, I should care about one of his creations and then invite you. I mean, this creator who creates everything by his own desire and by his own will, by his own word, this creator wants to have a relationship with you and invites you to become family and invites you to become a friend. So here's something that has stood out to me as a follower of Jesus when he gave us the Bible. 
And it is that, that the Bible says that God is love, right? You know, Michael mentioned this last week. It doesn't say God is justice. It doesn't say God is... I mean, all these other attributes of God, Never, not one of them says that God embodies that, that is who he is, except for love. And I may be wrong. I don't think I am. But it's the only one of his attributes that say God is this. God is love. So I want you to be amazed by the power of God. I want you to be amazed by the knowledge of God. But what I want to amaze you with more, what I want you to be amazed by, is I want you to be captivated by this love that God has for us that would motivate him to say, I want you in a relationship with me. I want you to be my friend. I want you to be family. So... um, Dietrich read Galatians. Let me read it again a little bit, a couple other verses too. But in the fullness of time, uh, when the fullness of time came, I'd I'd really like to read Dietrich's version. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption, listen, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Sons and daughters of God. That is who we are because of Jesus. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. John 15, 15, no longer Jesus said, do I call you slaves? For a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. I tell you, some people don't like us talking about how God wants to make us friends. That I'm a friend with an omnipotent, omniscient God or that he's family. Some people don't like us talking like that. And I get it. I get their problem. I get what their issue is. Their issue is this. God didn't need any friends. God didn't need any family. God is sufficient in himself. God didn't need you. And this is cool. God wants us. God created us and he wants us. Not that he needs us. He came so that you might choose Him, so that you might respond to His love. Listen, listen carefully. Listen, we are not the initiators. It is not that you one day wake up and say, Oh, I need God or I want God. God has initiated this whole thing. God has created us. And then He's put the knowledge of Himself in our hearts. Then He's revealed Himself in His immense creation. He's made the initiative. And then not only did he make the initiative in that way, he made the initiative by fixing our sin problem, by dying for us. He makes the initiative. But listen, he wants you to respond to his love. One reality I know about God, at least I believe I know about God, he is eternally existent. He is eternally God. He's one being one ontological being. I've, I've, I've used this a lot lately. I, I just, it just rivet itself to my heart. I want it to rivet itself to your heart. God is one being. He's one ontological being. Meaning, He's one... Yeah, what's another word for being? He's one being. We're, we're one being. I'm one being. But I'm also only one person. I'm only one person. I'm one being. God is one being. But He is three distinct persons. You say, well, that's strange. 
Yeah, wasn't it strange that there's a being that doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, and who can speak all of the universe into existence by his own will? Isn't that strange? Yeah, it's strange. I mean, God is God is so... This is why God had to be send Jesus to become one of us, because he's so vastly greater and different than us. We would not... We wouldn't, he, could, he needed to become like us so that he could communicate who he was in his heart and his love for us. But here's the thing I wanted to share with you. God has always been in community. If he's one being but three persons, God has always been in community with himself. Three distinct persons that have a relationship with each other but are one being. And here's the neat thing. God wanted to invite all of us to be part of that community. I mean, that is what is so incredible. God is inviting you and me to be part of His community. So therefore, He makes you in His image. He makes you to be like Him, right? So that you can be a part of this community of three. And He wants to make us family with Himself. The gift of Jesus that He gave us that Christmas day was He gave us a relationship with Himself. Because He loved us. Number three, on Christmas Day, God gave us rest in Himself. Now one aspect of the gift of Jesus that we may miss in the busyness of the season is rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Maybe you're saying, what do you mean by that? What, is, what do you mean by Sabbath rest? Well, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a day that God instituted for us as humanity. And he said, I want you to set aside a day to stop working. Remember how I did it. I worked for six days and then, and then I rested for a day. I want you to rest for a day. And I believe, I, I think I can make this case, that it was to be a day of rest from work, but it was also to be a day for worship. It was to be a day to remember God. It was to be a day to enjoy Him. So, When I say that Jesus is the gift of a Sabbath or the gift of a rest, what I'm saying is that in the same way that we rest physically on the the literal Sabbath of the Old Testament, the Bible calls Jesus our Sabbath, and it is our resting from our trying to earn God's love, God's favor, God's acceptance. Here's Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Here's what, here's what those verses mean. The gift of Jesus is, is to show us God's love in action, right? It was to tell us to stop trying to earn God's favor. Try, stop trying to earn God's acceptance and God's love. Jesus did all. Jesus demonstrated that God loves you, that God cares for you. And so we're to actually stop working to earn God's, God's favor. Now, when the Old Testament writers, uh, you know, when they were talking about the Sabbath back then, when the writer of Hebrews refers back to them, right, um, they, well, let me just read it. Um, 
The writer of the Hebrews exhorts his readers to enter into the Sabbath rest provided by Christ after three chapters of telling them that Jesus is superior to the angels, that he is our apostle and high priest. He pleads with them not to harden their hearts against God as their fathers hardened their hearts against the Lord in in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief, God denied that generation access to the Holy Land. And the author of Hebrews says, God said, they shall not enter into my rest. So, so let me see if I can make that, make that applicational for us. In the Old Testament, God's, because of their disobedience, their unwillingness to believe God, God said, you shall not enter my rest. And at that point, he was talking about entering into the promised land. He said, you're not going to enter into the rest of the promised land. The author of Hebrews takes that and says, listen, by your unbelief, don't reject what God has done in Jesus so that you also missed God's rest, that you don't enter into God's rest. Practically, here's what this means. Stop striving to earn God's forgiveness and simply trust in His love and rest in His love. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling us that we don't do anything, that we don't serve God or or obey God or anything like that. No, I'm saying serve God and love God and obey God out of rest, out of love, not trying to earn God's forgiveness. Surrender. Trust in the love of God. And, and then serve God and follow God and love God out of that rest rather than trying to earn it by your efforts and by your, by your works. Here's what Jesus said to his followers when he was with us. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Wearied and burdened with what? It doesn't tell us. But I would suggest that maybe it's wearied and burdened of trying to please God with all the rules and regs and all the things we do that hopefully hoping we've done enough so that God will love us, so that God will accept us. I think what Jesus is saying, all you who are weary and burdened and you're tired of trying to live good enough so God will love you, stop. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke, that's the thing that the oxen were hooked to, right? I mean, the oxen worked, but Jesus said, hey, take my yoke, which is easy, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And here's the neat part. And you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest if you take the yoke of Jesus and quit trying to somehow make yourself pleasing to God or make yourself get to some point where God, oh yeah, God can accept me now because... I'm good enough. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Cease striving, beloved, and know that Jesus is God. Live for God out of His rest. Stop living for God to earn anything with God. He's got you. He's got you. He's going to keep you. He's going to save you. Rest in Him. Number four, and finally, on on this Christmas day, God gave our lives meaning in Himself. God gave us a reason for living. Jesus is the reason, the purpose for each of our lives. And on that Christmas day, He gave our lives meaning. If the atheist is right, if the atheist is right, there would be no meaning, no purpose to our lives, to your existence. You're a random product of an eternally meaningless universe if there's no Creator that created it. There'd be no right or wrong. There'd be no justice. 
No one created you out of love. No one loves you. And in the end, after all your days are over, you will return to non-existence, back to the dirt from which you were made, if the atheist is right. But when God gave the gift of himself in the person of Jesus, he gave our lives eternal significance. I'm not a random Check, uh, 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 a random act of nature. You know, I, I don't exist by chance. And, and nothing is, I'm not going to return to nothing one day because God gave me himself. He gave my life purpose and meaning. He gave reason for my existence. My life is valuable. Your life is valuable because God created you and because God loves you. My existence isn't pointless. I've got a point to my life. I've got a purpose for my life. God created me for a reason. He created me to know Him with the hope that I might choose to love Him. I have hope of eternal existence of resurrection from the dead. We also have purpose, I think, that affects our everyday living. We have purpose in that God has told us what he wants us to do with our life. He's given us a purpose, a commission to rule the earth, to subdue it, to lead it. And this still is still in effect for all of us, and it affects me and you. And I know you find it trite, and you probably laugh and chuckle under your breath every time I say it, but I find pleasure in taming my yard and fighting back the woods. I think that's part of subduing the world. But it's so much bigger than that, too. Taming the world or ruling the world means I, I love my children and I raise them to know God. I raise them to be the lights, like the, the gift goes on, right? I raise them so that they might pass the gift on to their children and to their generation, right? That's part of my purpose. My purpose in, in, is to bring justice to the world. Of all the people in the world, we should be the men and women who are most concerned about fighting and eradicating injustice in the world. We should be seeking to help the poor out of poverty. We should be seeking to bring Jesus' kingdom on earth now. Now, Jesus said, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? Earth? When? As it is in heaven, right? Right now, as it is in heaven. This is part of our dominion mandate. This is part of our this is part of what God's called you. This is your purpose. We are to, to bring about God's kingdom here on earth now. Will we do it? No. Not until the king comes and steps back onto the planet and he makes it all right. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a mandate, a purpose now to be trying to bring his kingdom to earth. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are the ones. You and me. We the people of God. We are the ones who should be affecting our community. I loved your illustration because... I've noticed it a half a dozen times. Every I, I couldn't stand it when Chris put all the lights on the building. You know how I am with frugality, right? And I'm just thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, all those lights on all night. But he's telling me that it doesn't cost very much money for those LED lights. I'm telling you, when the lights went out over there and you drive by our building, and it's you don't see any lights over here. You don't even really see the back parking lot lights. All you see is darkness. I'm telling you, it's affected me. I, and I mean, it's just our building, but I mean, we are to be the light. This is our purpose, is that we are to rule over our world in Jesus' name. And we're to rule the world like he wants us to rule the world, okay? And if you think I'm talking about ruling with, with guns or knives, I'm not talking about that at all, right? I'm not talking about that at all. 
Here's something else that, that my purpose is all of that, but I have, a, I have, an, I have another unique purpose, and, and that purpose is I have been commissioned. You have been commissioned because Jesus came, right? You have been commissioned to make disciples of all the nations. You have been commissioned to be a disciple maker, to join Jesus in his kingdom work. He instructs us to be a a disciple. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations. You go be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, right? So I've been given this, this commission, this mandate to go and make disciples. That's my purpose in life. It's my mission. But listen to me. It's not my mission because I'm a pastor. It's my mission because I follow Jesus. And the thing that I want you to see is it's your mission too. Every single one of you. If you follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, it's not your mission yet. Okay? Because you can't, you can't be on mission to make disciples if you're not one of them. But if you are a disciple, this is your purpose in life. This is your meaning. And all that God would give us in 2023, this burning passion to be the light of the world. I tell you, last night, Ronnie, when we finished up the, the Christmas Eve service, and, and you led us in what's traditionally become the end of our service, which go was it go share your light, go with, go light your world. I was moved last night. Go light your world. We need to go light our world in 2023, like never before. It's Christmas morn. What better time for us to give thanks to God for his indescribable gift? Yeah, the gift of joy, the gift of love, the gift of of hope, the gift of peace. But the indescribable gift of himself and how that affects our lives. He gave us revelation of himself. He gave us a relationship with himself. He gave us rest in Himself. We don't have to strive and earn and make ourselves good enough to be accepted by God. He gave us, he gave us a reason for living. So I'm done. Let me let me just finish with just a couple of questions. And you know, forgive me for this if you feel caught or trapped. But on this Christmas morning, maybe you're not at rest. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't accepted the revelation of God himself. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God. Well, this this Christmas morn, if the Spirit of God has touched your heart, maybe this is the morning to join his family, to enter into that relationship that I tell you that the God of the universe wants to share with you. Maybe this is your maybe this is your day. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.